and welcome to church. I'm so pleased you've joined with us today. Let me begin with a strange word of encouragement from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and uh, yeah, about, about, about there. Uh, so, so let's read. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Now, this is a bit of a strange passage to uh, begin our service with today. And uh, it's one though that uh, reminds us that there is power in the prayers of the faithful when we pray to God. So these people were enduring the exodus. They were hungry and they were complaining to God about what uh, they'd been brought into. And God, he burned with anger against them. And so he actually burned some of their camp. But the prayer of Moses, as he prayed to the Lord, the fire died down. Now we're in the midst of many fires in our lives right now. There are many different things burning for each of us that that are consuming parts of our lives. And it's in those moments where we need to cry out to the Lord and pray. You know, today is a day of prayer. The BUV have called us as a a union of churches to come and to pray together. And so I would ask you that today, you dedicate some time to pray for our state, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our protection and healing, and to pray that God would intervene in these moments. But also pray on a personal level that He would intervene for you. Now God has told us, He has promised us that He works for the good of those who love Him. And so I have full assurance and confidence that God is at work right now. And so as we open this service this morning, why don't you pray with me right now and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we come before you with heavy hearts and burdens, all of us, many varied and different things. But one thing we do know, Lord Jesus, is that you are the Lord. You are in command. All things are held together by you. And so, Lord, as God of the universe, as creator, as sustainer, we ask right now that you move and act amongst us, your people, and amongst our nation, your creation. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask for your healing touch to come upon those who are sick and who are ill. Lord, we ask that your provision come and flow for those who are really struggling financially. And Lord, we ask that your guidance go out and and, and permeate our leaders, both our health officials and our government leaders, so that, Lord, we would be able to respond appropriately to what's going on right now and have the ability to overcome these challenges. Lord, I pray that 
it would be your ability that we operate out of, not our own feebleness. And so, Lord, as we pray and come together as, as Baptist churches all over Victoria this morning to pray together, Lord, I ask that you hear our prayers and that you deliver us, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's, let's sing together.
Don't greet the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven, the King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ, my
have a few uh, business items to move through today. The first of those is our AGM uh, voting concludes today for that. Uh, so if you are yet to get your information or yet to vote, um, the links from that email that was sent out or just give me a call today. Anytime today up until 6pm you can call if you want uh, help with voting or want to cast your vote um, in person rather than online. I'm here to do that for you today. Uh, so just give me a call. Uh, but yes, our, our AGM does conclude today and the results of that will go out in email this week. Uh, we also have Operation Christmas Child uh, again this year. We, we were supporting that. And so I'd encourage you, uh, if you uh, have done it in the past or have never done it before, why not do it this year? It, it's basically you just grab some things together, fill a shoebox full of, full of prescribed items, um, and the information is available. We have some flyers at the church here, or just call, call me and I can let you know. Um, or call Eve, Eve Davies. Um, she's the, uh, the Northeast rep this year for, for, uh, for, our, our, for here in Wangaratta. Um, our church through Eve is also operating as a collection depot. Uh, so if you need any more information, have a chat with Eve. She'd love to let you know um, what is required. Uh, but we're going to do that, and so there is a video that we'll be showing shortly as well, which really encourages um, uh, and gives them in some insight into the work of Operation Christmas Child and the hope that they bring. And so we'd encourage you to send a shoebox full of love, joy and hope to a kid who otherwise would have a very different experience for Christmas this year. Uh, next week, we've got Father's Day, and so we're going to celebrate dads uh, next week. And uh, we've also got communion, so make sure you're prepared for that. Uh, but that's all for the announcements today. Uh, for your giving, thank you for continuing to do that. There is a slide at the end of the service today with the details if you haven't got those already. Um, but a, a moment of joy to share is that for the Wang Night Shelter, um, the donations have come in thick and fast to cover the trailer. And so that project is completely funded now. Uh, so thank you to the generosity of those I know who donated towards that. And uh, that, that the, uh, the other thing we were asking for is fuel for Father's Day. It's not too late, you do have this week. Um, thank you already to those people again who have donated generously towards that. Um, a $50 donation buys a 20 litre um, jerry can of fuel which gives 20 minutes of flying time. Uh, so that's how th those things work out. And uh, yeah, great idea, a uh, good gift uh, for Father's Day. If you've got nothing else or if you uh, through dis distance and, and lack of being able to be together on the day, that's something that you can always send along. Uh, so look out for, uh, for more information uh, on the MAF website uh, or in the email this week, there'll be some info there as well. Uh, so lovely to um, be involved in such a generous church and uh, I just thank you uh, for supporting those things that we have mentioned in the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's uh, watch that video now, and then I'll come back with a sermon. Three, two, two, one. 
At the count of three, when children open the shoe boxes, they're so excited. I mean, it's just been incredible. Kids are so excited. Giving them a gift, do it in Jesus' name. And that's what this is all about. Jesus loves you. It's a gospel opportunity. It's the chance for the children to change the entire life. The word of God is spreading. The gospel is advancing. It is impacting children. It is impacting families. It is impacting the world greatly. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. God will bless. And God will use your gift to touch the life of a child and to be able to do it in Jesus' name. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. God bless each and every one of you. Father's Day is fast approaching. This jerry can gift card represents 20 litres of fuel. It comes with a $50 donation and puts us in the air for 20 minutes. In the remote places in which we serve, that's enough time to save a life. In the past five years, people all across Australia have been giving these gift cards to the dad in their life for Father's Day. We've been fueled for around three and a half thousand hours as a result. This year we're doing it again, and we've got something exciting to show you. Introducing this little guy, a 10 litre jerry can of fuel. A donation of $25 puts us in the air for 10 minutes. You'd be amazed at what a math plane can do in that time. But there's more. Introducing the kids colouring in jerry can. This card comes with a $10 donation and provides Mac with around 4 litres of fuel. It's a great gift for Dad and you can colour it in. Each card is packed full of Dad jokes guaranteed to make him laugh and you cringe. You can make your donation and receive your card by jumping online to maf.org.au forward slash Father's Day or by making your donation at church today. Thanks for keeping us in the air. There are many times that we hear the clarion call to wake up to what is going on around us. We hear the cry to be informed and to act based on information. And we have heard these calls made over climate, reported inequality, race, tolerance, social injustices, where to shop, where not to shop, what to eat, what not to eat, even what we should think and, and what we should believe. You know, what sources are credible and who is incredible? You've heard this phrase, it's time to wake up to what's really going on. But what we need to wake up to is not what our TV and newspapers are telling us every time we're watching or reading them. What we need to wake up to are the spiritual realities of our world in light of Christ's return. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
Now, Paul reassures the church about the timing of Christ's return and says that they don't need to have any further information given to them about the times and seasons, about when and how Christ will return. No one, not even Paul, knew when Christ would return. But Paul does give information as to the way Christ will return. Christ will come like a thief in the night. Now, when we think of a thief, we often think of a nefarious character who sneaks around, who takes opportunity given to them to, to exact dishonest gain. But the thief in the night phrase used in verse 2 doesn't reflect the way Christ will return by being nefarious or dishonest. It's more an indication that it will be unexpected. It will surprise people. But what is this day of the Lord that Paul is referring to? Well, the phrase day of the Lord is common in Old Testament prophets. And it refers to the great and terrible day when God would intervene to punish the disobedient and to save the faithful. In Paul's letters, it equated with the second coming. And so we see that this term is of larger meaning than just what we went through last week with the rapture. The day of the Lord begins with the rapture, includes the tribulation and the second coming, which leads to the establishment of the millennium. And so the only way that our meeting Christ in the air can be imminent is to see it as simultaneous with the beginning of God's divine judgment. And so only if the rapture coincides with the beginning of the day of the Lord can both be imminent and the salvation of those in Christ coincide with the coming of wrath to the rest. See, if they were not connected, then Paul's statements about the rapture being in the twinkling of an eye from Corinthians would be at odds with this statement about the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night. If they are not connected and one precedes the other, then Paul's got one of these passages wrong. But as Paul speaks about both the rapture and the day of the Lord being imminent in Thessalonians, you know, the rapture's imminence in chapter 4, verse 17, as he says, we who are alive, he expected to be part of that. As we saw last week, he expected he'd still be alive to witness the rapture, be part of it. And here in chapter 5, verse 2, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. They must be connected and the same event. And this is easy to grasp when we look at our understanding of a day. So a day can mean the hours of daylight in a narrow sense. And it can also mean a 24-hour period in a broad sense. And so it is with the day of the Lord. The second coming in the narrow sense, and in a broader sense, the rapture, tribulation, and second coming. The one event wrapped up together to entail Paul's meaning here when it refers to the day of the Lord. And it will come quickly, without warning, and will be a surprise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, 
then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Last week, we had the joy of welcoming a new member of my extended family as my brother Nathan and his wife Natalie welcomed their third daughter, Josephine, into the world. Now, labor is not a quick process. It is long and protracted. You know, some women are in labor for days before finally giving birth. And so Paul writes about the sudden destruction of the tribulation that will last and be painful for a long time, just like in labor. And he makes a promise, they will not escape. So what does Paul mean though, when he says, there is peace and security. So this one stumped me. I wasn't quite sure what he was referring to, and so I had to look it up. Evidently, the occasion for the false sense of security felt then will be the Antichrist signing of a covenant with Israel. And so for those playing at home, we can see that the beginning of the day of the Lord and the beginning of Daniel's 70th week coincide. That signing will set the stage for a period of unprecedented destruction, even though it will be the signing of a peace treaty. Unbelievers living on earth will then be able to anticipate this persecution, uh, this, this period of persecution, since God has revealed it in Scripture. And can you imagine what it'll be like for the unbelievers who are left behind after the rapture? You know, I reckon that all over the globe, churches will be filled with people searching for answers and they'll be left looking and finding Bibles and, and reading and, and going online to the internet and studying and, and working at all this stuff that we've known for so long. And they'll go, they'll go, oh my goodness, this is what's happening. They're going to be searching for what comes next. And they're not going to like what they read. Following on with the birth metaphor, it would be much like a pregnant woman's delivery which observers can anticipate by the woman's appearance. They will be witnessing this firsthand. No one living on the earth then will in any way escape the turmoil to follow. They cannot escape it any more than a pregnant woman can escape delivering their child. No one on earth who is living in peace and safety during the first half of the tribulation will escape the destruction coming in the second half, except those, of course, who die. And so whilst this is the terrible destiny for those who are not believers, this is a future that we will be spared because our destiny is with Christ in heaven. At the start of the day of the Lord, we will meet Christ in the air and then we'll be with God forever. Following that will be the tribulation where the whole earth will experience the wrath of God and like labor pains, they will be sudden and unavoidable for all who remain. And then the second coming of Christ will establish his millennial reign where Satan will be bound. 
And so our sparing from this destruction should serve to further invigorate our compassion towards those yet to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so they too can be spared from that future and join ours. It should stimulate our action to bring the hope of the gospel. It should rejuvenate our resolve and strengthen our convictions to lead us to living lives that are actively and practically bringing the hope of the gospel. And Paul then continues with his metaphor on the day of the Lord, playing on the day, night, darkness, light, good, evil connections. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. In both uh, Jewish and Greek thought, to be described as a child of something was to be characterised by that thing. And in this case, what characterised the Thessalonians was the light, in contrast to darkness, and day, in contrast to night. And their future had been illuminated to them. They were now fully aware and no longer ignorant of the events to come since Jesus and Paul had revealed them. Their future was fully illuminated, as was their position with God. See, they were were not walking in wickedness. God had removed the Thessalonians from Satan's kingdom of darkness and placed them into God's kingdom of light. Darkness has for a long, long, long time been equated with evil. In the Old Testament and New Testament, darkness describes those who are ignorant or are opposed to the Lord. And so darkness does not describe the Thessalonians here at all. They are the children of light, just as we are. And listen to what Paul writes about believers, about children of light. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 to 8 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So given that we are secure children of light, saved by grace through faith, how should we live? Well, awake and sober. Plenty of people are going through life asleep at the wheel, disengaged from the realities of eternal consequence. These are the others that Paul refers to. They are asleep and, and, and are insensible to the things that God has revealed. But Paul instructs believers to remain alert and to be watchful, to be awake to the realities of life. It all matters. As children of light, those saved by the grace of God, we should live as children of light and not be ignorant or asleep to things that matter. You know, I wish this uh, were what people were talking about when they talk about being woke instead of the politically correct nonsense it means currently, which is so often at odds with being awake and alert to the spiritual realities of, and eternal consequences. We should be awake and alert, engaged in big issues of life and faith, morally and spiritually. Now, one challenge facing us, though, by being morally engaged with the issues of life right now, rather than being asleep, is the COVID vaccine. You may have been aware that the government recently signed a deal securing 25 million doses of a vaccine being developed, nicknamed the Oxford vaccine for COVID-19, because it has been developed uh, by Oxford University. Now, on the surface, this seems like a great development. If the vaccine continues through human trials and remains safe and is effective against COVID as it seems to be so far then by being vaccinated, we can potentially protect and care for the most vulnerable and hopefully return back to a normal life. On the surface, it looks great. It seems very hopeful. But there is a moral dilemma for us to consider. This Oxford vaccine has been developed from a kidney cell line taken from an electively aborted baby. I know that this is it's tough to talk about and I apologise for the graphic realities of this. But the moral dilemma for me here is this. I believe life begins at conception as uh, scripture informs this belief. I believe murder is wrong as God has clearly outlined in the Bible. And so to use kidney tissue from an electively aborted human baby, from a baby that was unwanted and in my view murdered, to use that tissue to develop a vaccine is morally compromised. Now I'm not making a pronouncement about this vaccine and whether we should take it if it becomes available or not. I'm just saying that its development is morally compromised. And this week I also found out that there are other vaccines that also use the same process and the same morally compromised source tissue 
such as vaccines for measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, hepatitis A and rabies. These are very common and no doubt many of us have received these vaccines unknowing of their origins. So my point though is that there is more to consider about so many things in life and being awake means that we consider the moral and spiritual implications of our decisions. These vaccines bring just one example. And Paul also instructs believers to be sober. He says, let us be sober. Let us be controlled, be vigilant, literally not intoxicated. Now you could, couldn't say that a drunk person is characterised by being controlled or vigilant. Bit of a long bow to draw. Their mental faculties are compromised. They can't control their bodies normally or, or their speech or, or remember much in detail. They become, they become uninhibited. I don't believe you could call any of these attributes admirable. And when you're drunk, many people confess to not being in control of their actions. So my question is this. If when drunk you are not in control of yourself, who is? It's a good one to think about, isn't it? If when you're drunk, you're not in control of yourself, who is? But this doesn't just refer to alcohol. It can be applied to any intoxicating substance. But this isn't an instruction against taking drugs or getting drunk. Although taking drugs and getting drunk are both things that Christians should vehemently avoid, it's a continuation of Paul's metaphors about the responsibilities of believers in how life, how we should be living life as children of light. To be awake and make good spiritual choices, to be controlled and vigilant. So it's not explicit that believers avoid drugs and alcohol, but it is implicit as, as those behaviours are morally and spiritually compromised. Who is in control if you are not? Taking control is also taking responsibility. How often do we observe the exact opposite? You know, people trying to negate their personal responsibilities by blaming anything and everything else. But as Christians, we're instructed to take control. And that means taking responsibility. So if you want to learn more and grow more in your knowledge and understanding of the Bible and of God through his revealed word, and all you do about it is just listen to a sermon on a Sunday, then you're not taking responsibility for your spiritual growth. You are leaving that up to whoever is preaching that Sunday. You're not taking responsibility. In fact, you're probably negating it. Now, I'm in the middle of building a pizza oven at my place. I've spent hours reading up on different types of pizza ovens, uh, different ways they can be built, watching hours and hours of YouTube uh, tutorials on, on how to build them. 
I spoke with an old bricklayer who built an oven and got some tips off him. And I visited many different websites for brick and oven supplies and manufacturers. And through my research, I've decided upon a design and construction method uh, that will give me a nice large oven to fit several pizzas at a time. That's within my skill set to build, important one there, and will also be economical. I started by building the stand for the oven to be built upon. I used leftover bricks from a fireplace that I ripped out of our front lounge room. I borrowed a concrete mixer from a neighbour and mixed my own concrete to make the slab. I, I lent on a good mate for, uh, for the steel to go into the slab uh, that the oven sits on so it was strong enough to hold the weight. And uh, I, I searched the internet for cheap bricks to use. And uh, I, I, Bill, Bill also gave me some more bricks. Thank you, Bill. Uh, and, and so far, for bricks, I've paid about 20 bucks. But I still need about 100 more. So if you've got any bricks and want to get rid of them, uh, and they're clay bricks, let me know. Um, I made up an arch template uh, support to build each course over. And on Monday, just gone, I bricked up the rear wall of the oven. And I'm hoping to have it pretty much completed in the first week of my leave in September. I've put the effort, time, energy, and resources into giving myself the best opportunity at success for building this pizza oven. You know, I've given my, myself the best chance of building a successful, economical, working pizza oven. And it's going to be pretty good. It's going, it's going pretty good so far. Now, if I'd have just begun you know, by building without any of the research or without any of the preparation, then I would have already failed dismally. But I took responsibility and I've put the effort in to succeed in this endeavour. And it is the same with our spiritual growth. We need to take responsibility and put in the time, effort, energy and resources into our spiritual growth. Taking control is taking responsibility. Don't just rely on a 30-minute message each week for your spiritual growth because if that's all you're relying on, it will take forever. So we should be awake, alert and watchful, and be sober, controlled. We should also be protected. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now again, Paul uses this faith-love-hope trio. As Christians who are watchful in preparation for the future, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. That is our present reality. And so we need to protect our vital parts with trust in God, that is faith, and love for others. This is how Paul says we protect our vital parts. Trust in God, love other people. As we trust God, continue in love and continue to love other people. We also need to protect our thinking from attack by keeping our sure and certain hope of deliverance at Christ's appearance in mind. We keep our thoughts protected by continuously remembering the sure and certain hope 
of the rapture, which could occur at any moment. And so if you're struggling and are a bit down right now, move your focus from yourself and move it into your destiny. Secure in the certain hope of the resurrection at Christ's return. Put on that helmet of hope of our salvation, looking forward to Christ's return. Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, God has not destined us for wrath. Indeed, deliverance from the judgments of the day of the Lord is certain for Christians. It is certain because God has not appointed his children to wrath in any form or at any time. Rather, he has appointed us to full salvation. This deliverance is certain because Jesus Christ died as our substitute. He took all God's wrath against us on himself. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And consequently, we can have confidence that we will live together with Christ after the rapture, whether we are watchful or unwatchful at the time of his coming. Whether alive or dead, asleep or awake, this is our reality. This sure hope is a sound basis for mutual encouragement and edification among believers. Not only can we comfort one another when we die, but we can also strengthen one another while we live. And so much like last week, we conclude with another encouragement from Paul to encourage one another with these hope-filled words as we think and live in light of Christ's return. So I have a question for you. Are you awake to the spiritual and moral realities facing us every day? Are you sober and controlled, taking responsibility for your life, your direction, your growth? Are you standing firm, protected as you continue to trust in God and to love others and continue thinking in hope? Now, there is a challenge that accompanies the great hope we have in the gospel as we look forward with anticipation to the day of the Lord. That challenge is to not leave anyone behind. So who can you contact later today or through the weeks ahead that you don't want to see left behind? Their eternal destiny might just depend on what you choose to do as you respond to this challenge today. So let me pray for you. Almighty God, we accept that there is a 
a destiny awaiting all of us, but that that destiny is different for some compared to others. For those of us, Lord, who have the, the sure and certain hope of resurrection in your imminent return, that from that moment on we'll be with you in heaven forever. Lord, that is a glorious hope. And may that lift our thinking and inspire us, Lord, to, to lift above the current disappointments of our current circumstances and these realities that are facing us. Lord, for, for those whose destiny is at, the, at this point in time is very different. Lord, may you send us to those people to bring the message of hope that is found in the gospel. That, Lord, they would not be left behind. That you would use us to speak into their hearts and minds and and introduce them to the free offer of salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, their, their eternal destiny very may depend on what we choose to do following hearing this today. And so would you, Lord, prod us, poke us, push us wherever you want us to go that we might share the hope of Jesus with those who are yet to discover it. May we have the presence of mind to speak and to sow those seeds of faith and love and truth and hope. And Lord, would you encourage us as we do that to do it with vigor, to do it with vibrancy, to do it with a passion that is from you. And so we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. Yeah.
Well, thank you for joining with us again for church. Uh, wonderful to have you. Uh, next week, as I said, is Father's Day. So if you haven't got your dad some chockies or something yet, you've still got time. Uh, again, communion is on next week, so come prepared for that. And uh, I really look forward uh, to hearing uh, the stories of how you have been able to share the hope of the gospel with people. Uh, and because you've been so in love and, and so compassionate towards them that you, you do not want to see them left behind. That's our response. That's our challenge. And so get out there. Don't, uh, don't delay. Pick up the phone. Make that call. Have a chat with someone because their eternal destiny might be riding on a conversation that they have with you. And so may I encourage you uh, to, to be active and participating in God's plan for your life and the, the plan he has to use your life to bless others. And so I say this to you every week, blessings to everyone.